is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, May 5th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Working from the Schwink Studios uh, just outside of Bristol, it's Taylor Schwink. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Uh, we had a conversation the other day. Really, it was me, Taylor, going on a rant where someone was, uh, some one of our uh, listeners was you know, questioning whether or not players should wear microphones and how it, it's a major distraction to them. And so I was happy you know, to uh, have a conversation with Patrick Wisdom of the Cubs, who's worn a microphone during the game, about whether or not it's actually a distraction. You know? And I feel like I, 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 my rant was backed up. What do you think? Oh, yeah. This is, this is a major vindication for you. And actually, it made me laugh when we were doing it because I had – you know, you, you, we recorded this, uh, you know, prior to, to this morning and I'd forgotten, you know, about your rant in that moment. And it was the, f- it's the first thing you bring up with Patrick, uh, you know, that, that point of, uh, players wearing microphones. So, uh, I am uh, excited for the listening audience to hear it, especially all the haters out there. Yeah. I had in preparation for that interview, I had, you know, watched some old videos of him wearing the microphone and, and, uh, listened to what he had to say and, and watched him and his comfort level and all that. So I'll, I'm just going to let a player talk about wearing the microphone during the course of the game. Uh, This Sunday, we've got the Dodgers and the Padres, and Mookie Betts will be wearing the microphone for us. All right, on Thursday, the Orioles continued to roll a crazy game against the Royals back and forth. The Royals pile up nine runs, but the Orioles were raking. 1-1. And a swing, a fly ball to deep right field. Melendez chasing this one. Still going. Will it get there? No, it won't. This ball will bounce over the wall. It's an automatic double. That'll get in McKenna. It will get in Stowers as well. And the Orioles' lead grows to 12-9. Ramon Arias coming off the bench late and coming through big time. That from WBAL. Final score there, 13-9. Taylor, how are you feeling about your squad? Ooh. Uh, mixed emotions, man. I mean, they've been playing really well, but the, the pitching has been, uh, there's been a lot to, uh, to be desired there. They, they let up 24 runs in three games against the Royals. Is that good or bad? Not great. That's for Mm -hmm. sure. But you know what? They're winning games and they're, they're pushing, they're rolling along. All right. The angels and the Cardinals, the Cardinals have been playing so badly. They're been booted home by their fans during this homestand. That continued on Thursday. Jack Flaherty got pounded 10 runs in two and a third innings. This was part of that. Here's the pitch. And Renifo swings at that one, drives the ball deep down the right field side, down in the corner, and that ball is out of here. Renifo with a three-run homer, and the Angels are on top in this ball game. It's now 4-2. to two. With Terry Smith, Angels Radio, AM 830. Yeah, you could hear the booze <laughs> begin to grow once the ball landed out in the stands. We'll be talking with Carl Ravitch in an edition of Good, Bad, and Ugly about the Cardinals. I think you can guess which uh, category they fit. The Rays, absolutely playing great, continue to dominate. They play the Pirates, who started this week with uh, you know one of the best records in baseball. And the Rays just keep on doing their thing. some carry to it. Joe's going to go to the wall. That baby's gone. Opposite field home run for Randy Arozarena, his eighth home run of the year. Both Rays runs have come on the long ball. Rays win the game 3-2. to two. Uh, They are now 
seven and five. The Red Sox playing the Blue Jays and trying to finish off a great homestand uh, against Toronto, finish off a sweep against Toronto. Masataki Yoshida is going nuts these days. Here's Yoshida. Oh, he's going to crank this one. That's high and deep. Way back toward the triangle, and that ball's gone. Yoshida with number six. Red Sox lead it one to nothing. Boy, he is showing true power. Plus a 14-game hitting streak. And Raphael Devers applied the coup de grace. Raffi swings and drives one to deep right field. Back toward the grandstand. It goes and it is gone. Home run number 11 for Raffi Devers into the grandstand and right to the right of the visiting bullpen. And the Red Sox have broken it wide open now. They lead it 11 to 4. You heard Dave O'Brien on Nesson. You heard Joe Castiglione on WEI 93.7 FM. Interestingly, we've seen Yoshida move into the number two spot. Devers going to the cleanup spot. The thinking of Alex Cora, their manager, is that he wants to have Boston's best hitters batting in front of Devers. So when Devers comes to play, he has an opportunity to, uh, to do some damage. The Nationals and the Cubs, bottom of the ninth inning, it was three all, and this happened. And the first pitch to Alex Cole, swung on and hit deep to left, down the line, toward the corner, way back, going, going, and gone! Goodbye! It's a game-winning walk-off home run for Alex Cole on the first pitch from Brad Boxberger! Bang! Zoom goes Cole! From Charlie Slows on the Nationals radio network. Yeah, final score there, 4-3. to three. The Braves, they're playing great. They face the Marlins. Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing some kind of damage these days. Grounder, fine center field, and the Braves have the lead right back. RBI single, Ronald Acuna Jr. He would come out of this game eventually after fouling a ball off his left knee, but uh, the Braves think that he'll be okay. We'll probably hear more about that on Friday. The Tigers, the Mets, the Mets, of course, trying to keep pace with the Braves. They started the day five games behind Atlanta already in the National League East. Justin Verlander on the mound for the first time in 2023, having missed the first month with an injury, and it didn't go well in the bottom of the first. The 1-0, swinging a high fly ball, right field. This one's deep. This one's way back. This one's gone off the bat of Baez. Opposite field, right center, back-to-back home runs, and the Tigers take a 2-0 lead in the first. My goodness gracious. That was Dan Dickerson from 97.1, the ticket. It was 2-0 in the ninth inning. Brandon Nimmo was at first base, and this happened. Nimmo on the move. The throw from Rodgers. Got him! Wow. Why even try? Is a that from the Tigers television network on the Mets broadcast, they were asking the question, why would he run in that situation? Nemo acknowledged that he made that decision on his own. After the game, Verlander talked about how he felt. Coming off the injury, how did you feel physically with the side, the back arm, everything? Yeah, everything felt good. No issues um, physically. Um, you know, I felt like as the game went along, the velocity started to come a little bit too. So um, physically, overall, it was a good day. The Mariners and the Athletics, it was three all. Top of the fourth inning, and this happened. 
Pitch on the way to walk. Swing a ground ball up the middle. And it's going to get into center field for a base hit. Hernandez will score. Crawford rounding third. He's being waved in. Down the stretch. He comes. He'll score. Around to third goes Taylor Trammell. Colton Wong with a two-out, two-run single. And a straightaway center. And the Mariners have the lead 5-3 to three over the Athletics. Here in the top of the fourth inning, Colton Wong coming through in the clutch. And it's feeling like the Mariners are starting to find some bedrock. Uh, that sound from Seattle Sports, 7, 10 a.m. Taylor, what else you got? Buster the Low Post and the Hoop Collective with Ryan Windhorse. I'm sure they'll be cranking out new episodes today, uh, especially after the Warriors blowed out the Lakers in game two last night. I, I love a good... Uh, blew out? And- Would you say blowed out or blew out? Bl- blowed out. Crushed them. <laughs> I feel like they were they were so bad it deserved a, a made-up word there. Um, okay. You know, in the NBA, NBA playoffs, they are such uh, prisoners of the moment. So I'm sure the re- overreaction takes will just be firing on those two shows. So the low post. LeBron's done. Uh, he's finished. You know? Clay Thompson's back. Playoff Clay. Eight threes. Craziness. Check it out. Right. Low post. Yeah. Collective. That's a great way to describe it, by the way. Yeah, they they get caught up in the moment in the NBA. There's no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. The NFL schedule drops this week. And you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com. Dot com today code baseball vivid seats experience it live all aboard it's the Ravi train with Carl Ravage on baseball tonight the Ravi train this weekend will be in San Diego Carl Ravage play-by-play man for Sunday night baseball we've got the Dodgers we've got the Padres maybe the best rivalry in baseball right now and and uh well, I I'm fired up to to see the San Diego lineup of Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, you know, back with that group. The Dodgers seemingly putting things together. You know, guys like uh, Josh Altman stepping up this year. I, I think this is uh, right now the the series you look forward to the most. What do you think? I think it's the best rivalry of baseball right now. I think the Padres are measured by how they do against the Dodgers, and beating them last year in the playoffs is is one step. But now I think they want to show that not only can they beat them in a one-off series, they want to take a season series from them. Um, I think having all four of those guys playing on the field at the same time 
the introduction of a winner like Bogarts into the mix, that that gas lamp district will be on fire starting, you know, hours before the game. So it's the it's the most anticipated Sunday night game we've had all year. And I guess because of a Joe Musgrove blister, you know, we have a terrific pitching matchup as well. So, um, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I can't wait to see, you know, Altman and Vargas and the young kids from the Dodgers. It's almost like the roles have been flipped for these two teams, right? Superstars are on San Diego and the Dodgers have some, but they're filling them in with young players and the young players are starting to deliver. Yeah. And the Dodgers, you know, have some interesting stories, guys like Jason Hayward, you know, who, yeah, mm-hmm. let's face it, essentially thrown in the scrap heap by the Cubs who buy him out the year before his contract uh, runs out. He goes to the Dodgers. He finds his swing. He's stepping up. He's playing well. As you mentioned, I mean, they're finding solutions at shortstop, you know, sort of getting through with that. And looking at some numbers this morning, they're tied for second in home runs in the National League with all the moving parts they have. That's one thing that's very consistent about that Dodger lineup. It feels like they're putting it together as we go. We talked about the Phillies doing that last week. Uh, it seems like with the Dodgers immediately, you know, sweep the Phillies after we saw Philadelphia. It feels like they're gathering momentum. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, and I think one of the things you're reminded of is Mookie Betts comes off paternity leave and immediately goes in and plays shortstop and plays spectacular. Uh, on the one hand, it, it it's one of those, boy, Mookie Betts might be maybe a top two or three athlete in all of baseball, but it's also one of the deficiencies the Dodgers have, and maybe they thought Gavin Lux was going to be the answer, and obviously, you know, he had that terrible injury in the spring. It, it's, it, I think it's interesting that the Dodgers have a position like shortstop that doesn't have, because of what happened in the offseason, one of those huge name players. It just felt like the Dodgers would either retain Turner or have one of those names because that's the premier position on the field. Look, the Yankees did the same thing. They're going with young players as well. Um, I I just find it kind of interesting to see where teams are and what roles they value. And maybe it's, maybe it's Otani driven. I, I don't know, but to have a team like that, to have a team on the other coast, like the Yankees not have that big name shortstop is just, it's interesting. It's surprising a little bit to me, but, Look, the Dodgers are like the Golden State Warriors buster to me in baseball. They're just, they're always, they're going to be there. They have the superstar players you need. You don't need a ton of them, but you need them. And, you know, they have Betts and they have Freeman and they got Kershaw. So there's enough there not to, not to sit there and lose sleep over how the Dodgers are going to figure out 2023. On Sunday night. Uh, Mookie Betts will be wearing the microphone for us. I think you'd agree with me. He is on the Mount Rushmore of, of, of microphone users uh, in baseball. And then yesterday at our conference call, uh, our, our preparation for Sunday night, uh, a whole conversation came up, of course, about the Padres celebration with the pinata and maybe one of the greatest stories that I've ever heard from our, our Eduardo Perez told this story. On his behalf, I think in about three or four radio interviews since he told us this story about his pinata experience as a kid. And and fill in the gaps if I didn't get this right. So, Eduardo, we just mentioned the Padres, uh, you know, their postgame celebration. And he says, yeah, I've had a lot of pinata experience. And he talked about having a birthday party at Pete Rose's house when he was a kid. And so Eduardo, whose birthday was being celebrated, steps up to try to break the pinata and he's handed a wiffle ball bat to break a pinata, which right away, as soon as he said that, I was like, 
that didn't sound right. Cause like, I don't know if you ever did this, Carl, but I was always, when I, you know, the pinatas that I've been around, it was always like a broomstick or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So Eduardo, Eduardo, he's giving a wiffle ball bat. He can't break the pinata. Other kids are trying to break the bat. They're giving a pinata. And then he, Rose Jr., steps up and he's giving a baseball bat. And of course, <laughs> the whole thing explodes. It was one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. I, look, I remember when I was in Binghamton, New York, Pete Rose Jr. was rolling through. He was trying to make it as a, as a baseball player. Um, look, Pete, Pete Rose, you know, liked to, liked to tip the scales in his favor occasionally. And giving his son a wooden bat would mean the pinata is going to be blasted wide open. And it was Eduardo's birthday. Like, wouldn't you think the birthday boy would get the wooden bat? Not the case. Pete gave it to Pete Jr. And we were off with all the candy flying all over the place. Eddie's yeah. got more stories about the big red machine and how close he's been to those people and the impact positively that Rose had on him and, and Morgan and obviously his dad. And it's uh, that, that was a good one. I'd never heard that story before. No. Uh, and Eduardo is like Dusty Baker in that he can name drop and, and it doesn't oh. feel like name dropping because that's right. just his life that he's had. I, you know, I had to leave the the prep call yesterday uh, to do an interview with Patrick Wisdom, which you're going to be hearing coming up in, in just a second. But are we actually going to have Eduardo doing a pinata demonstration, do you think? We never concluded that. Uh, we never we never went back to revisit that. But I think the seed has been planted. And as you know, with the producer Sunday night, uh, Andy Jacobson, there is no idea that's off the table. It's generally you can kind of see him during a Zoom call like this doing this he kind of looks off he's typing something onto his you know onto his ipad or computer and then he comes back and you can just feel like you know smoke's coming out of his ears like the vatican and they get a new pope in there like okay well we could ask we're gonna we'll see so it wouldn't shock me if we have a pinata either in the booth or in a room somewhere and eduardo is taking hacks at it with uh, a member of the padres and it won't be a wiffle ball bat. I know that. He's going to demand <laughs> no. a real baseball bat to make that happen. All right. We're, let's play a game of good, bad, and ugly. Uh, you know, I like these devices to get into these conversations about teams and about players. But I'm going to let you choose the category you want. Good, bad, ugly. Ugly. Okay. Ugly, we're going to start with the St. Louis Cardinals, who incredibly – have the worst record in all the National League. They're now 10 yep. and 22. They're playing so badly that the other day when Ben Fredrickson, a columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, began to ask a question about the fans booing the players, uh, the Cardinals manager, Ali Marmol, went on a rant. Give a listen. Whether you're in the minor leagues as a coach in the lowest level, if you're a coach at the big league level or you're managing in my seat, you wake up every single day with one thing in mind, it's how to improve the organization. So to sit here and think that other people are more frustrated than the people in this clubhouse is insane. Absolutely insane, I can tell you that. Every coach that's in that clubhouse wakes up and loses sleep over how to improve what's going on at the moment. And that's the only thing that crosses your mind every minute of the day. That's why this organization has been good for a long time. It's because everyone wakes up with the same thing in mind. So to think that when you say that the fan base is yeah, we want to deliver for this city. That's what you wake up for every day. And trust me, we don't mind the accountability. That's also why we wake up every day, because it drives us knowing that if we do well, things go well. And if you don't, people are pissed. That drives me. It drives everybody in that clubhouse. So if you think other people are more frustrated than within these walls, you're crazy. 
Yeah, and so there was that uh, you know in a market uh, like St. Louis, that that uh, to have a, a manager push back at a reporter like that's got a lot of commentary in St. Louis. Um, look, I, <laughs> it's it's so bad right now with the Cardinals that just things are happening that I just go back to the spring training exhibition game we had and being around that team. I couldn't imagine Carl that they'd be in this position ten and twenty two. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that's the difference between spring training and, and the regular season. And when you lose 10 of your first, I mean, win 10 of your first 32 games, there's going to be problems. You, you Again, the, here's the difference between the current Cardinals and the current Dodgers and that allusion to the current Golden State Warriors. Um, the Cardinals, you know, Jack Flaherty, if he is there, Clayton Kershaw has done nothing to indicate that he's going to join his buddies, you know, Max Fried uh, and Giolito as, as stopper guys and the rotation. So that's a, that's a minus right now. Maybe he figures it out, but what's his ERA somewhere in the sixes or sevens. I mean, that's, that's a big problem. Um, the, the, the Yachty Molina departure, um, Mike yeah. Maddox, you know, now in Texas, th- there are just parts of the organization that have been fundamental foundation pieces. And that's where the, the Dodgers retain those and they're still and they're performing really well. The Cardinals, while Molina was, you know, on the back end of his athletic playing career, he was still a stabilizing force. And I'm not suggesting that the catchers, you know, that they have there now in Contreras isn't isn't a better player right now than Molina was at the very end. But, you know, there's some stark differences between what you would expect walking into that Cardinal clubhouse. And just seeing, like, oh, yeah, there he is. That's his locker. Uh, you know, everything is Ian Wainwright. They're going to keep doing this. And, you know, they, they, they have a lot of similar players, versatile players. They have the stars in Goldschmidt and Arenado. But to me, this is, this is about their, you know, their pitching right now. They haven't been able to lock down a team. They don't have a ton of those strikeouts. When you get ahead, you know, two strikes, you, you know, you can put people away. And I, I read an article where they were, you know, they were really amongst the worst at striking guys out with two strikes, giving up two strike home runs. Like those are, those compound themselves. They're devastating. And look, we've been around Ali Marmol several times last year in his rookie campaign, composed. He, he was feeling the Cardinal, you know, love. Like we're, we're good. We're the Cardinals. You know, we always end up winning. And the same way that Darren Boone gets questioned when the Yankees are in the position they're in, he's hearing those questions, and it's an uncomfortable seat to be in. And when you're three or four games under 500, it's one thing. When you said, you know, you're 10 and 22, that's a hard hole to dig out of. Yeah, I didn't didn't double-check this number this morning, but I know going into yesterday, there were two teams in baseball that had double-digit deficits in their respective divisions. One, the Oakland Athletics, who are tanking. They're not even trying to win. Right, and they're a disaster. Right. We've talked about that. The other team is the Cardinals, <laughs> who are trying to win. But I think you hit the nail on the head, Carl. Not only, I mean, generally speaking, the pitching has been the big issue. Bottom 10 in ERA for an organization the year after year after year after year. Coincidence or not, it was when Yadi Molina was the catcher. They rank in the top 10 in ERA. They're really good. And you're right, Dave Duncan, uh, followed by Mike Maddox. They're a team that consistently had great pitching and they have this staff. They bet on this staff that in an era of swing and miss, when there's so many strikeouts, 
you have pitchers that you now the ball can be put in play against. Right. And I think that's what Jack Flaherty, their hope was he was going to come back. And you and I talked to him on that day when we were in Cardinals camp. He was, you know, he seemed very positive. His fastball velocity was up a tick. But boy, you know, to have a pitcher go out two and a third innings and 10 runs this early, I mean, that that is ugly. Adam Wainwright's coming back this weekend. He's not a guy who's going to solve the swing and miss issue. I do feel like that uh, there'll be some stabilization with him being back there. All right. Uh, do you want to go over the good or do you want to go over the bad? Let's go good. All right. The good, the Boston Red Sox. They move past the Blue Jays and the Yankees in third place in the American League East after completing a great six and, hum, uh, six and one homestand. Masataki Yoshida is absolutely raking. It feels like up and down this lineup, they're playing a lot better than anybody expected. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I spoke to the manager yesterday, actually. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of positives offensively, no doubt about it. Jaron Duran, who for for much of his early career and we're still early in his career, looked like a phenomenal athlete who could be winning gymnastics competitions, given his body, his ability to do you know, handstands and cartwheels and whatever else he's able to do because he's he's such a specimen. But now he, he's putting together an incredible start to the season. I think his batting average is over 400 right now, and, and he's in the middle of everything. Um, look, they're going to win six in a row. They're going to lose six in a row. Their pitching is clearly the bridge that they need to rely on, and there have been indications it's going to collapse. There have been indications at times it's more stable. Um, I, I thought yesterday was an important game for them. They'd won five in a row, and now they got to deal with Gossman, who's who's one of the better pitchers in all of baseball, and they jumped all over him. Um, look, you know, Alex Cora, as a manager, has squeezed the most out of every orange he's ever had as far as a team goes. He's, he's doing that again. But I think there's a realistic – expectation that they have they they know who they are but look if you're going to get guys and what's happened this last this last week um you know duran has a huge game and then tristan cassis who's in the middle of a slump has a huge game that they're getting contributions from different players who when you go into the game you're like well is it going to happen connor wong was another guy who had a huge game this he's week he's been terrific he was, connor wong has when, been terrific when he was doing nothing prior to to that you know and when you hear their post-game comments, it's I'm just sticking with my program. I'm trying to do what uh, you know what the coaching staff wants. I'm in the cage. I'm trying to go the other way. I'm just trying to barrel it up. And this past week, it worked really well for them. They got a couple. I think they have. I don't know if it's the Phillies and the Braves. You know, they, they look. There's a lot of tests that these teams have to take uh, each and every week. So sometimes they're tests you think you're going to pass, and other times. You, you realize you're going to struggle. And this was a very, very good week for them. Again, it, to me, it's and everybody else, it's all about their pitching. Yeah. And, and I can feel the in your voice some caution, uh, you know, essentially like, you know, hey, let's wait and see. And that's how I fall. Like I've read stories back in uh, in Boston uh, this week that are OK. Well, you know what? We got it wrong. Bloom was right. And I'm I just want to say this, like. Having grown up in New England and knowing that fan base, uh, the bottom line is whether or not they make the playoffs. <laughs> it's not having a good stretch of games in, in April and May. Right. It's whether right. or not they make the playoffs. So they could be better this year, but if they don't make the playoffs, 
then their fan base is still going to be unhappy about the direction of the team. They'll still be, you know, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, people mob coming with pitchforks uh, to the organization saying, why aren't we better? And there's a long way to go. And they are playing in the toughest division in baseball, right? Every team in the American League East has a plus run differential. Every team has a winning record. And so the standard that the Red Sox have to play at to make the playoffs is incredibly high. So I think I don't. I was reading like, no, we were completely wrong about the Red Sox. I'm like, it's it's a little early to draw that conclusion. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I can see an article that that would be headlined, maybe we were wrong, as opposed to we were wrong. You cannot make a definitive conclusion about any of these teams. Thirty-two games into a regular season, you can't. I mean, I. I think until up there, the Celtics are eliminated from the postseason or win an NBA championship. The focus will not be solely on the Red Sox. In this podcast, it is, but I think I think I've heard Mark DeRosa on MLB Network use the term "plucky." I don't think, as an organization, you ever want to be referred to as plucky because it means you're kind of <laughs> overachieving and and hey, I didn't expect this, and boy, they're they're having their moment, and then all of a sudden they're going to come back to earth. Look, the, to me, the jury's out, but let's be honest. I mean, if you're thinking about a rotation, you know, that has Sale and has Kluber in it, uh, you know, and a Tanner Houck, Whitlock, their, their bullpen, there's, there's just – there's not a lot of Houston Astro starters, and I'm using them when they were healthy. I know there's a lot of injuries there, but there's just not a lot of reliability, and there's not a lot of youth on that staff. So it's very easy to sit there and say – they had a good week, and maybe next week is is one and five. Maybe it's five and one. That, that it's just there's not a lot of. I wouldn't like. I'll say this: if I had a bet on a sure thing, I wouldn't bet on them being a sure thing. I think a headline that says "We were wrong" needs to be qualified with "Maybe we were wrong." Right. Exactly. All right. The last group is the bad, and that is baseball in New York right now. Uh, the yep. Yankees general manager, Brian Cashman, met with reporters and I've you know, known him for a quarter century. This is what he does. He doesn't really uh, go out and talk to the media a lot, uh, make himself available on a, uh, you know, in a press conference type setting unless the team is playing bad. And then he'll come out because, you know, as I talked to him afterward, uh, he knows what the narratives are. He knows that, uh, you know, when the team suffers all the injuries, they're going to ask about the medical staff. Did you guys, uh, you know, assess this team wrong? He came out and he essentially, you know, he was the the human shield for all the other players, for manager Aaron Boone. Here was part of what Brian Cashman said. Unfortunately, you know, uh, in the position we're in, we're going to be thankful that it's a long season because we're banged up so bad right now. If it was a short season, we'd be taken out. Uh, but we have time to make up ground. Um, and we're going to compete with who we have here. And we look forward to getting who we need back, you know, at a later date. Don't give up on us. That's all I can tell you. Don't count us out. Don't give up on us. You know, uh, we got a, a good group of people, player-wise, staff-wise, support staff-wise. It's a championship caliber uh, operation uh, from that perspective. But we're not currently flying, you know, uh, you know, at the level that, you know, we would have expected because we're missing some really important pieces, which I think anybody would acknowledge. But in the meantime, it's also part of it, and you got to withstand it. So um, we got to find a way to continue to, to 
tread some water at the very least um, and not slide too far out of it while, uh, while we're waiting on some important pieces to come back. And he essentially said, look, if you're going to point fingers, point fingers at me. I, I think the way he described it is right. They, they got to just hang in there. Uh, they got to withstand the hits with Judge being out, with Stanton being out, with Rodon being out, et cetera, other guys, because their lineup looks really thin and they look really vulnerable, Carl. Yeah, look, I'll go, I'll go with a positive spin. The other night when Bader came flying in from center field and there was the collision and he had just gotten back on the field, and he appeared to be okay afterwards and stayed in the game. Like, okay, well, because when I saw that, I'm like, oh, my God, he hurt himself again. And now he's going to be added back to that list uh, with the other injured players. So, uh, all right, I'll go with, like, wow, they survived that. That was another real scare. In, in the case of the Stantons and the judges of the world, it feels like we've, we've had this conversation every year with the Yankees. And, and I'm just shocked at how – Often, and this I don't even think this is a trainer thing. I, this is an overall baseball thing. You know the article that Jeff Passan wrote recently about the number of injuries in Major League Baseball. It's stunning how frequently players get hurt and, and get on that IL. To me, it feels stunning. I know history will tell you that if you look back on it, a lot of the players that, that have played have been hurt and they've gone on the DL instead of the IL, but Boy, there's a there's a fragile nature to Major League Baseball players, which doesn't feel like it permeates every other sport. And I'm not this is not a judgment on them. It's just stunning the number of players that end up on the I.L. And currently, you know, the Yankees have a ton of them. And I know Yankee fans will look at the players that are on there and and there's not a huge level of surprise or shock. Like it's an expectation. You're going to miss some time. He'll come back. We'll come back. It's, it's, in a sense, echoing what Brian Cashman was saying. You know, don't count us out. When we're all on the same field, we are an excellent team. I agree with that. Uh, the, I think the Aaron Hicks thing is weird. Like, I, I'm not quite sure if that piece of the puzzle even belongs in that same box of the puzzle. It just, it's such an uncomfortable thing uh, to watch a guy who is such a, you know, a one-time good player, proud player kind of thrust into this position where it's like, this is just really awkward. And that, that, that type of dynamic as opposed to the injuries is an odd one. So that's where I think that some of the fans can look at it and, and wonder how this was put together and why, et cetera, et cetera, with individuals. But I agree with Brian. Look, the Rodon thing is a mess. It's clunky. The bullpen, there've been injuries there. Uh, they're protecting certain guys who, who, in my opinion, could have been in the starter role if the elbow of Michael King was solid enough. Like they, the pieces are there when they're all on the field. So I'm, I'm with him on that. But, boy, between he, uh, Steve Cohen and his Mets, Showalter, Verlander, Scherzer, all, all those things in New York, this is – let's say this. If they can figure it out and both be great in September, it'll be a very different feeling in that city. And we know what it was like last year. And I think they will. I've told this story in the podcast before, and I'll, I'll tell it again. You know, I remember 20 years ago having a conversation with James Andrews, and he talked about the improvement in medicine. And he also predicted, yeah, and you're going to see more players go on the injured list. Because the more that you're – the better able you are to diagnose degrees of injury – then yep. as a physician, when you can say, let's say, you know, 
uh, a player has a 20% tear of some particular muscle at that point in the past, you know, this when, uh, back in the 1930s, forties, fifties, back in the 1980s, they would have told that player, Hey, you know, slap some dirt on it and go out and play. That was the culture within the sport. Now, because they can diagnose degrees, they'll say, well, you know, he'd probably be better off taking a couple weeks off. He'd be better off taking a month off. And so as mm-hmm. the medicine gets better, more players are missing more time. And, yep. you know, that was one of the best guys in the sport ever as a doctor making that prediction 20 years ago. Uh, the other part of the bad, the in New York, the Mets, they're back to 500. Uh, two days ago, Max Scherzer in his first start, uh, as he came back from suspension, allowed six runs, eight hits, and three and a third innings. The spin rates were down. He talked about his command being off. In the first inning yesterday, it was like a worst-case scenario. Justin Verlander, first start for the Mets, allows back-to-back home runs the first inning. He was actually pretty good the rest of the way uh, he, he pitched, uh, but they still lost 2 nothing. And Carl, it prompted me because I you know, was watching the Braves after I saw the Mets game. Go back and look at the numbers between these two teams since June 1st of 2022. Because I think I've said to you before, it feels like the Braves are a heavyweight and the Mets are a really good welterweight. Since June 1, 2022, the Braves have a record of 144. 100 wins, 44 losses. The Mets are 83 and 60. So 16 and a half games behind the Braves in the standings. The Braves have scored 758 runs with 235 homers. The Mets in that same span, 160 homers, 647 runs, more than 100 runs less or fewer than the Atlanta Braves. I I mean, right now, the Mets are not playing well, but not only that, like they're already six games behind the Braves or the clear standard so far in the National League East. Yeah. You know, barring, barring a number of health issues affecting Atlanta, they remind you of the uh, they remind you of the car that constantly looks new, a car that's located in a region in which there are no ice storms, snowstorms, sand on the ground, salt on the ground. Like th- there are very few blemishes with the Braves, which I think is the heavyweight analogy versus the welterweight. Where the Mets, they they, they don't look like the brand new car all the time. There's nicks. There's there's. There's guys that have uh, down times and they, they're not able to make up for those guys that are struggling. Um, you look at Sean Murphy versus Francisco Alvarez and understanding that the Mets are without their, you know, their top catcher. Like he, he, he fits so perfectly into what they've done. And yeah. not only that, has at times carried a team that has Riley and Olsen and Albies, who was leading them in home runs, and Acuna, and Acuna and playing a, like an MVP. He is, and yet, yesterday, the other day, his shoulder, and then I think he fouled the ball off his knee. But you can take Acuna out because it's it's literally like water finding the crack. Like you know what, we've got pieces that are going to find that crack. We'll fill it in. We're so good and so young. They, how how long did they survive without Harris in center field? And to your point, they started this way. There, there's just a there's just a newness about the Atlanta Braves. Every time they take the field, it never feels like it, the engine's going to die. It always feels like the engine is really good. And Max Fried looks really good, you know, and their bullpen is good and snicker. I mean, they, they've just been riding high for a long time. And the moves that we've discussed on this podcast about signing players long-term when they're young, that, that's why it just feel, feels like they're that machine that, that you just look at it and be like, 
that thing's going to run forever. It's almost like it's like watching Yvonne Lendl in his prime. Like that's not a human. It's a machine. And he's going to go out and he's going to finish and he's going to be either in the finals or win a championship. That's what the Braves feel like. Again, I want to reiterate the home run differential because this for me <laughs> is the And Pete Alonso is the best home run hitter uh, on any team. Sorry, he's the best home run hitter on any team. Right. Well, and that's the thing, but he's he's they've got one guy who hits a ton of exactly. home runs. The Braves have a ton of guys who hit home runs. 235 for the Braves since June 1st of last year. The Mets 160. Speaking of home run differential, I want to touch on the Tampa Bay Rays before you go. They lead the majors and homers. They've hit 65. They've allowed 20. <laughs> Those numbers are impossible. And if you, I, I sent out on Twitter this morning that if you want to describe the Tampa Bay Rays this year, those are the numbers to go with in terms of their level of dominance. Uh, Wander Franco has been part of that. You saw that crazy play he made the other day where Brian Reynolds, who's not slow, absolutely rips a shot up the middle. He gloves it. And Wander Franco flips the ball to himself before he throws the first. What would you think? Look, I think it was fine in the moment. I think had he dropped that because it had spin on it, it's a disaster and he'd never do it again. When you're playing the way that they're playing and winning the way they're playing, I heard Kevin Cash say, now I got to go home and my son's going to try to ask me, how do I do that? And I'm going to have to show him and I don't have the ability to do that. So I can't show him, you know, you make light of it again. I think it's all in context. The team is destroying the baseball the biggest difference between the Rays of 2023 and the Rays of the past is the ability to hit the ball over the wall and the number of guys that can do it. But the Franco play, I, I, that's, that's not me, but I'm not going to be offended by it because it worked and I know where we want to be as a sport. And I'm, you know, uh, that's just not how I would have my team do it. But I love, I love him for who he is and for doing it and making it happen and doing it right and having it be a success. But you drop the ball, I think we all kind of then take a quick cutaway of the dugout, you know, and everybody's doing the, oh, you know, one of those. You know, they're kind of looking away, realizing, like, do we really need to – do we need to go down that road? Do we need to do that? Look, I, if he's feeling himself that well, go ahead and, and be yourself. And you guys are, you know, you're, you're in a position after 31 games or 32 games where I think every one of the teams that won 25 of their first 31 went on to yep. a World Series, if not win it, like, okay. That, that's now, you know, knowing that statistic, that's all I'm caring about with the Rays. Are they going to be the first team not to win the World Series that started out winning 25 of their first 31? Or are they going to continue that, you know, that trend? And what, what were there, five or six of those teams? Right, exactly. I think. Four, t- four previous teams, if I have it right, started 27-5, and five, and all the other teams who started that way went on to win the World Series. Right. And about the flip to himself, it, to me, it's like standing at home plate and watching a long year-long fly ball go out. If it doesn't yeah. go out, you know what? Then you better be prepared to take the flack. And that's, you know, uh, and just different players do different things. I, you know, the, the basketball players that I watched growing up, I, I was a Laker fan. I exactly. love watching James Worthy. He never put mustard on his dunks. He went right, right to the rim and just threw it through. And on the other hand, right. And then there was Dr. J, who absolutely dunked with Windmill. style. They were both right. incredibly fun to watch. Right. You no, know? nope. I, I would agree with that. I would agree. And look, the, the more uh, that, that's the point. What we need in this game and what we have is diversity and we've 
we've been told culturally, you know, there are differences. Let, let's, let's embrace those, but be careful. To your point, it's a great analogy. If you think you hit that ball over the wall and it ends up uh, being a, a long single when it should have been at the very least a double while you thought it was a homer, there are going to be repercussions for it. It worked for him. I, I, it'd be interesting how often he does that again or if he has an opportunity to do that again. I hope he does. <laughs> it's, it's cool. And I love what Alden Gonzalez tweeted out yesterday, a colleague at ESPN. He goes, look, we, we, we watch a play like that and we go, oh, man, that is a big risk. Well, for someone like Wander Franco with his skills, right. nah, nope. it, it doesn't nope. feel that way. All right, exactly. Carl, thanks for doing this. I'll see you in San Diego. All right, see you guys. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Patrick Wisdom is the third baseman for the Chicago Cubs. He's already got 11 homers this year, already 21 RBI. Uh, Patrick, I, I want to talk about the 2023 Cubs. You guys are so much fun to play this year, but we've had a cover or to watch play. We've had a conversation this week about players wearing microphones and your experience in that has always been something that's, uh, you know, stuck out to me because I remember you were so great in terms of being enthusiastic and we had a technical problem, if I remember correctly, right? Like you couldn't hear the booth. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, the earpiece, it was going in and out. It was like a scratch CD. So they were asking me questions, but I couldn't get the gist of the question. So I, I kept having to have them repeat it. Yeah, and so we blew your appearance on a microphone. We did on our end, but I've seen you do other ones. Uh, you had, did one in San Francisco that was outstanding, and you had a lot of fun with it. And I think, you know, I get the feedback from fans all the time. Why are you bothering these guys while they play? 
you know, this uh, interferes with what they're doing. And, and I relate back, like last week, we asked Ryan Presley to wear a microphone when he was out in the bullpen. And he said, no, you know, he's kind of a quiet guy. And I'm like, that's great. But other players feel differently. And yeah. you jumped out at me as someone you're very comfortable with it. Yeah, I mean, I like it. Um, I don't mind wearing it at all. I think it's a cool insight, like you said, to the fans, um, just to kind of see, you know, how we act in the dugout during the game. Um, I will say, though, wearing the mic, it kind of gives you like an elevated, you know, performance. You kind of want to be a little bit more chattery and, you know, you start, you know, mingling more so than you normally would. But um, all in all, I think it's pretty fun. And I got to tell you, on our end of it, uh, we are always like, fingers crossed, boy, I hope that player does well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, had a no game. Uh, Francisco Lindor was wearing the microphone for us on the Sunday night game. An absolute rocket was hit right at him with two outs in like second and third. And in my brain, I was like, oh, my God, please catch it. And he did. And he threw out the runner. And I was so relieved. <laughs> I mean, that is definitely something that crosses your mind. Obviously, you know, when you're wearing it, you want to perform well. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you can perform well with or without it. And you could, you know, not perform well with or without it. So that's kind of where I uh, that's how I thought about it. And it feels like, I mean, that's the future of the game. And that's the future of the broadcast. So from your perspective, uh, is that the case? You feel two going forward, you're going to see a lot more of this? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you, uh, we've, we've seen it, you know, definitely um, with uh, different broadcasting, you know, companies, you got Apple, Peacock and, you know, ESPN. And so, um, you know, everyone's kind of doing their own version of it. So I think, yeah, like you said, it's, it's getting in the game and it's only going to grow. Um, and I think you're going to get multiple guys wearing it um, probably at one time. Yeah, we've had fun where uh, teammates are wearing it on the field at the same time. Bryson Stott, Kyle Schwarber, that sort of thing. So tell me what it's like to play on the 2023 Cubs. Uh, it's a joy. Um, you know, a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, a lot of banter in the clubhouse back and forth. Um, you know, all, all in good faith, though, and all in, uh, all in good times. But um, I think, you know, everybody in this clubhouse uh, brings something unique to it. Um, you know, everyone's different but also the same we all have the same goal and the same you know mind and drive and determination to go out there and win and perform but um as a collective group we meshed really well together and i think that was sparked and kicked off right from spring training um you know i would say like the older and veteran guys have been around um you know really made an emphasis to do that from the get-go and um i think as a unit we're we're really strong what was in that first team meeting, that conversation? You know, you got some new guys coming in, Dansby coming in. What was that like kicking off? Um, it was great. It was, um, you know, a heightened level of ex um, expectations in terms of, you know, not necessarily going out there, hey, we got to win every single game because we know that's not going to happen. But it's how can we show up every day, you know, ready to go so that way, um, you know, our teammates can rely on one another. And, you know, that way you just have a, a similar goal and a like-minded goal and everyone's pulling in the same direction. Um, so, yeah, like you said, the new guys come in and um, that have accolades that have won World Series, that have been in World Series, have played in the playoffs multiple times. Like they know what it takes inside the clubhouse and also, you know, outside and between the white line. So but I think it'll start, you know, within that clubhouse. And that's kind of where the conversation was was started. What have you learned about Dansby Swanson as a shortstop that you didn't know before you started playing alongside him? How easy he makes the game look. Uh, he is, uh, he's prepared. He knows the game. Um, I feel like he's kind of positioning me too sometimes, you know, on the field. Like he'll like whisper over. He's like, hey, scoot back a little bit or hey, like 
come come to the come to the hole a little bit. Um, you know, and then I look inside at our defensive coach. I'm like, hey, he's telling me to come this way. And then sure enough, you know, the ball's hit there. But um, just how well his baseball mind is, um, you know, in terms of the game, understanding it, but also um, getting to know him off the field. You know, our lockers are, are pretty close to one another, uh, especially on the road. So um, it's nice just to chat and get to know him, you know, off the field as well. Same question, Cody Bellinger. Yeah, he's great. Um, I like Billy a lot. Um, you know, play, obviously playing against him and seeing him play, um, you know, you know that he's a freak of nature and that he's just he's incredible. And so when you get to see it behind the scenes and see the work that he puts in and the preparation that goes into, you know, his play, it's it's pretty outstanding and uh, it's pretty elite. And so we had a good conversation yesterday, but it's just like picking his brain about certain things and, you know, the incredible years that he's had, like how what was his mindset, you know, where where was he at in terms of like preparing and just understanding who he was. And so it's nice to have those conversations with somebody of that caliber. As you know, for years, even when the Cubs, uh, you know, won the 2016 World Series, there was always a question of uh, where's the pitching going to come from internally. And it feels like the organization had a problem developing pitching. And now that you guys are turning the corner, tell me what you're seeing there. I love our staff. Um, you know, we got, five incredible starters and then you know the bullpen we're going to roll out you know it doesn't matter who we're rolling out it's going to be dominant and uh just a lot of trust within that group and i think that's huge uh, if you can go out there and trust the guy on the mound um you know it's going to pay dividends over the long end of the season and um i just like our staff a lot just the way the mentality is when they get on the mound and they have that ball um it's infectious you know especially playing behind them you kind of sense that energy and so um you know it makes you you know kind of up your game a little bit. What do you feel like you're doing well at the start of this season? Uh, having fun first and foremost, um, you know, kind of relaxing, not to, not creating so much pressure on myself to perform. And, um, you know, I, I talked about with the staff a little bit, but like chasing hits, um, kind of get when you don't really have like that result, you know, in the hit column and your, in your box score, it can kind of drive you, drive you nuts sometimes. And so um, if you can eliminate that chase for the hit, just go up there and have a good at bat, stick to your plan. Um, you know, then I think things will start rolling your way. And so finding that balance, um, I think from the start and even in spring training was a big step for me. So, you know, Trevor Hoffman, the hall of fame closer, he was actually drafted as a shortstop. Uh, he played in the minor leagues hitting 200 and they went to him and said, Hey, uh, what would you think about pitching? And he knew what that meant. And I talked to him very late in his career when he had clinched the Hall of Fame. Uh, and I said, what was difficult for you about a position players? And he goes, I couldn't deal with the 0 for 4s. Oh, I, yeah. I couldn't deal with it. And it was interesting because here's a guy who pitched at the end of games, pressure situations, tons of saves. And he's talking about the overwhelming pressure of the 0 for 4s, which you mentioned, like trying to deal with it. When did you feel like you turned the corner in, in that regard in dealing with the, the failure? And there's so much of it in baseball. Yeah, I would say this spring training. Um, I really felt that I didn't feel the weight of those offers in the spring games because sometimes, you know, spring games can kind of people say, that, oh, they don't mean a whole lot. You're just getting your reps. But like to me, it it meant a lot. It almost meant more because I was figuring out where I was at, you know, approach and swing wise, mechanical um, mentality. So it's that kind of things. And so to alleviate the weight of those at bats was freeing in a sense, both mentally and physically, because you can go out there and just perform and, and have fun and realize that you're going to get more bats and um, you know, that you're here to fine tune your approach for the season. In a sense, I know that like 
it's kind of sounds weird, but you're you're ironing out things, if you will. So before a playoff game in Wrigley Field, Craig Council, the Brewers manager, I was out on the field and he comes through the dugout, still in street clothes. And the first thing he does is look at the flags. Uh, <laughs> for you as a player who plays there on a daily basis, uh, do you check the flags and when do you check them? And, and do you, you know, have a particular time you like to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to check the flags there at Wrigley. Um, it's kind of iconic. But, yeah, when you're when I'm walking to the field, you know, you definitely take a peek and see where they're going. But, you know, it changes. And so, um, you know, BP is a good measure for the game. And obviously before the game, you're just kind of keeping track of those flags just uh, just so you know what's going to happen, especially when I'm playing outfield. That's a, that's a huge thing for me. But, um, you know, definitely at the plate, you want to – if they're, uh, you know, flying straight out, you kind of – you want to get the ball in the air as much as possible. So uh, when we had you on uh, Sunday Night Baseball a couple years ago, uh, I had a conversation with you about dancing, and then there's some video of you dancing. Your manager, David Ross, was a Dancing with the Stars star. Have you ever had a conversation with him about that? Is that something someday you might want to do? Yeah, I might go pop in the office and just uh, pick his brain about some of the things that he learned. Cause, you know, I'm sure he's got the more technical side of it and uh, I'm just like more out there raw, just having fun, uh, you know, dancing to the beat. But I do remember watching his, uh, that, you know, that season of dancing with the stars and seeing him on there. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely have to go pick his brain about it. All right. Well, Patrick, <laughs> thanks for doing this. It was good to talk with you. Hey, likewise. Thanks for having me on guys. I appreciate it. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how you doing? Fresh from your trip to Korea. Well, Buster, 13-hour time difference, so I'm dragging a little bit. It's going to take a little while to get reacclimated here, but doing well, and uh, it was a pretty amazing week. Yeah, and you're full of stories, so we're going to pause the Forgotten Fields for this week, and because I want to hear about your travels, your experience, and especially your baseball experience over there. Yeah, so Buster, the first takeaway is, you know, this is a country the size of Indiana. Its population is essentially that of uh, Texas and uh, Florida combined, and half of that population lives in the greater Seoul area. So what this all comes down to is when we talk about the KBO, there are 10 teams Five of them are in the greater metropolitan Seoul area for all practical purposes, which is essentially the equivalent of a 30-team major league with 15 clubs in the New York area or the L.A. area. So the level of intensity and localized intensity is quite something. Um, A couple of takeaways. First of all, you know, similarities, to say the least. This is this familiar sport that you and I love and work in. Uh, but there are differences. The loudness, legendarily, all of the intensity of the fans is just beyond description. The teams are uh, not—they're not named for their cities. They're named for corporations. So, for instance, we have the LG Twins and the Doosan Bears, things like that. Um, and all of that noise, all of that intensity. I had a very high-ranking Korean baseball official say that he had been to a game just in the last couple of weeks at Yankee Stadium in New York. And he said, in Major League Baseball, there are messages on the scoreboard that implore the crowd to make noise. He said, we don't have to do that here in Korea. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, tell me about, the, I mean, the loudest that you felt, uh, the loudest crowd that you heard while you were over there. 
So it's continual, Buster. What happens is um, visiting fans, because it's such a tight geographic area, as I just pointed out, they travel from game to game. It is no big deal for teams of, um, you know, I went to a game in Incheon, for instance, which is uh, just west of Seoul. It's where the airport is. Um, and there's a team there called the Landers. So we saw a, uh, a game there. And basically the... Pause busy- for a second. Pause for a second. Are they actually named for the, the MacArthur landings at the early in the Korean War? Yeah, I mean, it's part of it. Their their narrative is the fact that uh, Incheon is where you land when you come to Korea. Of course, the uh, MacArthur landing is part of it. Um, yep. So, yeah, yeah. And and it is the home of um, of baseball in Korea. The, the roots of Korean baseball reside there. So there's a lot to unpack, but that's why they're named that. So uh, the visiting team's fans have a platform kind of on top of the dugout, just next to the dugout. There is a a guy in this case who is leading the fans. Uh, There are cheerleaders dancing on the dugout. And Buster, they're singing songs for every player that comes to bat while that player is at bat and while the opposing team's players are at bat. And it's just a constant fun din. Um, I had taken a couple of videos. I was texting them to Taylor along the way. It's just crazy the amount of noise there and real enthusiasm. They are totally, totally into it. And um, remember those thunder sticks that were so popular in Major League Baseball about 20 years ago? Remember those? Yeah, the Angels, 2002 World Series. Um, Yeah, that's a big deal there. And uh, it's a very joyous, uh, involved baseball experience. One other quick takeaway on that part of the equation. It was a Friday night. The home team won. The entire home team cheering section stayed until well after the game. The lights are going out. They have a show on the scoreboard. The groundskeepers are raking the infield, and they're out there singing songs in a very organized way, celebrating the win. It was pretty amazing. Sounds like soccer in England uh, a little bit in terms of the you know the teams being relatively close to each other in, in terms of the intensity as well. Uh, yeah, that, that's it, it's as you were talking about the level of noise. I was thinking about the players who through the years have complained about the cowbell in the trop, I think some of those guys might be overwhelmed by what you were experiencing. <laughs> well, it's interesting, Buster. I had the opportunity to talk to with, uh, with Kirk McCarty. Kirk McCarty, who pitched for the Cleveland Guardians last year, now pitches for the team in Incheon, the Landers. Uh, so Kirk McCarty is 27 years old. He's got a young child. And uh, we had a pretty lengthy discussion. And uh, he was telling me that he is really enjoying it. He enjoys the cultural experience. Um, he loves the fact that, uh, you know, the intensity t- takes a little getting used to, uh, all of that noise in the middle of a game is not something that we're accustomed to here in MLB, of course, but he says it's very infectious. And, uh, we had a very lengthy discussion about the baseball, uh, in the KBO relative to the baseball and major league baseball. And I was going to ask you about the baseball because you, before we got started, you held up the KBO ball. What do you got? So here's a KBO ball. Here's a Major League Baseball official ball. Note the stitches. The stitches are quite pronounced. Now, what he told me, Buster, is that uh, the the KBO ball, they don't rub it up with Lena Blackburn mud from the river in Delaware or Pennsylvania or whatever that is. It is uh, clean. Um, it is white. He loves it. He loves the consistency of it. And, uh, and it's a pretty nice-looking baseball, as you can see. So he he basically saying that the grip issue is not an issue there with the baseball with how it yeah how it handles. 
Yeah, yeah, he said it's very, very consistent to him, and he had no issues with it whatsoever. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I've said it a million times on the podcast. I don't understand why it's taken Major League Baseball so long to find a ball that everyone can get comfortable with so we don't have all these – we don't need we, – we, we could bypass all these checks that are being done on pitchers. It's kind of crazy to me. Uh, I'm curious about – because you obviously had uh, – came over just after Max Scherzer, right? Where yeah. he had his, his whole issue. So I'm curious, as you heard the, him tell you this, what was going through your mind? Well, we actually talked about Max Scherzer and his suspension, and I won't convey what he relayed to me about it. But yeah, I mean, when you consider, we did talk about the fact that Major League Baseball essentially controls the means of production for the baseball. You would think, as you said, uh, after several years of having controlled the means of production and going through all this stuff, back, forth, back, forth, that there would be one pro one single product that would be consistent across the boards. Nope. Uh, all of the theories that they're phasing out baseballs from the past, that they're a practice ball, you know, all of this stuff. I just don't understand it either. It's very mysterious. And, uh, of course, it, it, it lends itself to conspiracy theories and Boy, we live in a world where people love conspiracy theories more than ever. So you'd figure they would just shut that narrative down, get it right, and put it to bed. Yeah, it, it's a surprise. All right, uh, Sarah's not here, but we're going to plow ahead with this week's quiz. Uh, what do you got? All right, guys, so here we go. The Los Angeles Dodgers, they have posted baseball's best record over the past decade. This team has the second best winning percentage. Is it A, the Rays? Is it B, the Yankees? Is it C, the Cardinals? Or is it D, the Cleveland Guardians? Second best winning percentage in Major League Baseball over the past decade. Rays, Yankees, Guardians, or Cardinals? What do you got, Taylor? Ooh. Um, let's go D, Guardians, and I've been licensed by uh, Sarah Abbott to choose. She said B for whatever the question is, so she's going to go Yankees for this one. <laughs> I'm going Guardians, too. Uh, Terry Francona's era as manager has been remarkable. Every time I go on Cleveland radio and have to talk about the potential trade of a, a Lindor, a Bieber, that type of thing, I always go, you know, before you rip the front office so much, just keep in mind how much consistent success they've had there. Well, Sarah, in her absence, wins this week because it is oh my God. New York Yankees. Oh. Had some oh, killer regular season. We can't let her back on the podcast just to hear <laughs> that news. Toast. That is that is really oh my gosh. Well, Brian Cashman would love to hear that. You know, Todd, if you had been sitting next to him in the you know when he was speaking with the reporters, you know, believe in us, he would have loved to have parroted some of those numbers. It's over the last decade. There's no denying the fact that we have the best, second best regular season in Major League Baseball. You go into the postseason, you take chances, blah, 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 blah. blah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd. Thanks All for right. doing this. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. Um, a couple things to uh, clear off the top here. Um, some rant-related things. Let's Let's go... Let's go to you because you, you ranted about uh, people saying they don't like the mic'd up interviews during games. Uh, you were vindicated when Patrick Wisdom came on here today, said he enjoyed doing them. 
Uh, and then Jesse Batesel at Context Collapse writes in, due to the recent rant in defense of Mike players, I'm forced to join the chorus of fans who despise in-game quote-unquote interviews, a.k.a. listening to the players grunt and hearing Mike's fail. It is the single greatest factor destroying the game today, Buster. That's a hot take from Jesse. I don't think he believes. Well, I, and I can't tell. I mean, that sentence right there is the single greatest factor destroying the game today. Looking for the evidence the game is being destroyed. It's an $11 billion industry. Ratings are up. Uh, attendance seems to be up. <laughs> I, you know, early on, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm looking for the evidence that the game is being destroyed, Taylor. Jesse, can you present some? <laughs> uh, you know, maybe Mookie bets uh, Mike will go out and Jesse will be vindicated this, this Oh, week. my gosh. I don't I, As I said to Patrick about, you know, players, with God help us if Mookie Betts makes a mistake. Uh, on the field while he's talking on the microphone. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, we'll be collectively crossing our fingers. What did you think about Ali uh, Marmol's uh, quote unquote rant? I'll say, I'll, he was very, he's kind of a soft spoken guy. So I, I feel like he could have taken the energy up a couple more notches to sell it because his team's well, in a bad way. He's pretty intense. I will tell you that. Oh, uh, yeah. It was interesting to read the stories because of, the understated nature of, uh, uh, that you you cited when you hear it's not like he was screaming at reporters the other day, but mm -hmm. it certainly got a ton of attention in St. Louis, and, and people understood this was uh, Ollie trying to to make a stand to back his players to let everybody know. I think it was Derek Gould, my good friend, who covers the Cardinals, uh, who essentially wrote like you could feel that he was looking for an opportunity to say something like that, maybe to fire up his own players. If that's the case, man, they're going to need a lot more than, you know, a manager rant in a in a uh, in a press conference setting. <laughs> yeah. And we've talked about this before. You mentioned with Ravi, the Cardinals are so buttoned up. Uh, the fact that this the video of this is out there on the Internet. Um, I, I kind of feel like that was purposeful almost um, to just to make sure that it, that the players didn't they couldn't miss it and, and right. could see that, you know, he's serious. He means business here. Um, one last thing before we get into more tweets here, Buster, you, you've been, we've buried the Orioles here. I mean, they are, they've won seven straight series. They didn't look great against the Royals. That game yesterday was weird. They've got a really tough series against the Braves this weekend. They've got the Rays right after that. Uh, if I could extend any advice to people listening right now, uh, Dean Kramer against Max Fried last uh, tonight, bet it all on the Braves, man. Dean Kramer has been so wow. bad. And I'm looking and at as you say this, I should say, as you're telling us this, Okay, you're wearing an Orioles cap. Yup. Uh huh. So I, you understand your team, right? Uh, yeah, that's I said it. Don't be afraid to bet against your team because you know them better than anyone else. Dean Kramer has not looked good. I mean, maybe one time this year, maybe like his second start, but uh, he was really bad last time out. And then the, the O's—they're just—they're going against Max Fried, Spencer Strider, and Bryce Elder. Uh, Kyle Bradish on Saturday. Tyler Wells, who's been pretty good this year. I mean. It's going to be tough. And then the Rays on Monday. So uh, I, I don't know. You know, they, they had a good April, a uh, good start to May here. But I, from now on, I think it's just trying to keep things at 500. What do you think? Well, if they play 500 against these two teams, that's pretty good. Because I think there's oh, yeah. no question. Rays are the best team in baseball and the Braves are the second best team in baseball. I, I And I, I think and then there's a gap, mm -hmm. you know. And then there's a gap, and the Orioles are trying to be, you know, be the team that's going to fill that three spot, especially with the Astros having dealt with these starting pitching injuries and the American League West being thrown into some chaos. All right. Uh, let's get back to the tweets here. Uh, Mark Stevens at Writer Stevens writes in, Hey, Buster, the chat with Bruce Bochy on the rule change that protected catchers from dangerous slides was great. 
think beanballs will ever get back in the forefront as a rule change consideration? What will it take? No, I don't think that's going to change. Um, you know, I've always w- often wondered if they were to ever, you know, uh, invoke a rule uh, that if you leave the, the dugout, if you leave the bullpen, you would face suspension. That would end like the bean balls and the brawls and that whole thing. Um, and here's the thing about bean, bean balls. I, I think there are a lot of cases in which it's really hard to judge intent. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I would not want to, especially in this era where pitchers are basically uh, this generation of pitchers are training to throw the ball as hard as they possibly can. And they're not focusing so much on command. I, I just don't think you can just suspend players without knowing exactly what's in their hearts. And in most cases you don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think, and, and they'll do it. Like if it's an obvious retaliation, uh, I feel like we've seen suspensions. Am I wrong there? Um, but yeah, you're right. It's it, it can be tricky. Uh, yeah, what was funny was that we actually saw one that was an obvious retaliation over the weekend. We didn't talk about it on the pod on Monday, but Zach Wheeler on Saturday, uh, he's got two outs, nobody on base. Martin Maldonado's at the plate, and he smoked him right in the seat. Okay, absolutely right in the behind, and right away, like all the Phillies writers were there, like. Yeah, Zach Wheeler did that on purpose because during the World Series last year, Maldonado stuck his elbow out a little bit and mm, threw a hit yes. by pitch that turned out to be pivotal in that World huh. Series. And I was there after the game when he, reporters asking Zach about it. And Zach was kind of like, oh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, so forget. it does happen. Yeah, that's it. Well, in that case, you know what was in his heart there. That That's an easy tell. Well, you don't know for sure because he he gave himself deniability with his comments, but everybody kind of knew. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Roll at Baseball Brian Five writes in, seems like a lot of the WC, WBC team USA players are off to slow starts. Do you think it's because other WBC teams were more prepared for the tournament, so the lack of spring training had less effect? Other countries play year-round. I got to say, Anthony Santander, a guy who's also, who played well at the WBC, also off to a slow start. I feel like it's having kind of the reverse effect that I thought. I thought these guys would be like revved up and ready to go, and it, it seems like that might not totally be the case. So this topic came up in our conversation with Rob Thompson before our Sunday night game because Trey Turner, off to a yes. slow start. Kyle Schwarber, off to a slow start. And Rob, who's very understated, basically said, well, you know what? In the WBC, they play erratically. You know, they have a game one day, and then they're off a day, or maybe they're off two days, and they play again. And he, you could tell that there was a part of him that sort of co-signed that, the idea that this might have been a factor for some of his players. And I think a lot of people around baseball feel like that because it wasn't the typical preparation for some of these guys. Yeah, that makes sense. Zach Beeson at Zach Beeson 22 writes in Buster when a team like my angels gets beat up or uh, beat up on a struggling team like the Cardinals does it serve as a morale boost for a team with high expectations hope they keep riding high and take the AL West from the Rangers this weekend yes uh, and it does feel like the angels are are kind of you know they're starting to find themselves and I think the context of American League West is completely changed by these two injuries to the rotation of the Astros it does feel like the American League West is wide open right now Michael Tazlitz writes in, do my he- my headphones practically exploded when you and Kirkshin were going over the top uh, for the Phillies on Tuesday's podcast. Now let's get some praise for the Dodgers after the big sweep of the Phils and uh, have won six straight. Yeah, Carl had the praise for the Dodgers and essentially compared to the Golden State Warriors. So, Michael, I hope you're okay with that. And yeah, 
it would be nice after Tim and I were like, the Phillies are ready to take off if they actually won a game. <laughs> I you saw know, that's uh, baseball. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I saw DGB uh in my mentions too demanding praise for the Red Sox. We did that already, so we'll we'll move on from yeah, there. We covered but, that. We got we're, it. we're not we're not short on giving praise around here. Oh man. All right. Last one for the week view from the bleachers at VFTB writes in at what point do the Cubs need to bring up Matt Mervis to replace Eric Cosmer or Trey Mancini on the roster. Both are struggling at the plate while Mervis is red hot and triple a Mervis is getting the call up. I saw yesterday. That's exciting for he Cubs. Did get the call up. Yeah. Uh, and I think the, you know, the expectations for the Cubs are such that, you know, they're not just going to bury a, a great hitting guy down the minor leagues because they don't really care about winning. I think this year, the front office, Looking at the condition of the National League Central, where the Cardinals are a mess, you know, the Brewers are playing okay. Uh, you know, the Pirates are off to a great start, but I don't think anybody's uh, confusing them with the 27 Yankees. There is opportunity in the National League Central, and so I think that probably is part of the reason why the Cubs made this decision. All righty. That's it for Bleacher Tweets for the week. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter as you're watching games over the weekend. We will be back on Monday for a Baggage Claim Monday edition of the podcast. Very excited for that. Yeah, I'll be doing that from the Salt Lake City Airport uh, on my way back to Montana. That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks today to Patrick Wisdom, to Carl, Todd, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate net equality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.